Thank you, Ken. I don't know what this is for, so I'm going to move that over and do that. Yeah. We are uh, studying the Gospel of Luke, and today we will complete chapter 7 of the Gospel, and it's been a very interesting journey so far. So take your Bibles and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And for those of our number who are visiting, let me give you a little introduction. Luke chapters 1, 2, and 3 are the birth narratives of John the Baptist and Jesus. And that concludes with Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus, and Jesus is declared to be God's Son, which is a title that they're given to kings. So we uh, look at his baptism as him being inaugurated king over God's new kingdom that is coming in. And then he begins to uh, operate as the king, and he does all the things that are going to happen when the kingdom comes in. He heals people, he casts out demons, he raises people from the dead, all those kinds of things. And then in chapters 5 and 6, we have the Sermon on the Mount, and he challenges us not to judge others without first examining our own selves. So often we look at other people and we... Uh, jump to conclusions, and we're going to see that happens again in today's lesson. When in reality, we shouldn't be looking at others, we should be looking at ourselves. Once we pull the big plank out of our own eyes, then we'll have clearer vision, and we'll see other people aren't so bad. So, we need to be careful in that. And then last week, we saw that Jesus healed the centurion's servant, and he raised the widow's woman's son. These are people on the margins. And this has caused a great stir. Jesus hangs around with sinners. He rubs shoulders with people on the margins. He deals with poor people. That's not the thing to do in his society, especially not a famous rabbi. And it leads to a lot of questions about, is Jesus the real Messiah or not? And even John the Baptist, who's sitting in prison for being a righteous man, starts to question whether Jesus is the Messiah. And he sends a couple uh, of his disciples to Jesus and say, Are you the Messiah or should we be hunting for another person? And Jesus doesn't even answer the question at first. He just starts healing a whole bunch of people. We're talking about multitudes of people. He casts out demons. He cures blind people. He opens deaf ears. He says, Now go tell John that the things that are supposed to happen in the kingdom are happening under my ministry. And they don't have to look any further. And he says, and also, uh, he's, then he turns to the crowd and he says, and whoever's least in the kingdom, people like these tax collectors and these sinners, are greater than John the Baptist ever thought he would be. So that was sort of a little dig to John the Baptist. Uh, but it means that John is part of an old dispensation that's passing away. And as great as he was in that dispensation, in this new dispensation of the kingdom age, which starts with the coming of Jesus, those that are least in the kingdom are greater than John the Baptist. So that sort of brings us up to verse 36 of chapter 7. And we're going to cover verses 36 through 50. We'll end this chapter. And Jesus is still in the city of Nain where he has raised the widow woman's son. And evidently he's invited to a dinner. So look at verse 36. <clears throat> then one of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and... He sat down to eat, or more literally, he reclined. Uh, this would have been a formal meal, a banquet that would have had a lot of people there. 
And it would involve a U-shaped table, which was low, low to the ground. And all the people eating at the table would have been sitting on their hip, on the ground, probably on a pillow, reclining on their left elbow and their feet going away from the table. So Jesus accepts this invitation to this formal meal or banquet. And the fact that a Pharisee invites him to the meal indicates that this man seems to be open-minded about Jesus. He hasn't made up his mind yet. He's trying to figure out who Jesus is. In fact, we know in verse 39, he calls Jesus, he uses the word prophet, referring to Jesus, and in verse 40, at the end of verse 40, he calls him a teacher. So we see that he is uh, still open about who Jesus is. He hasn't made up his mind. Uh, many times traveling teachers and rabbis were invited to people's house as an act of hospitality since they didn't have a place of their own. So that may be the situation. And we know that this meal has taken the form, or takes the form of what we call the symposium. A few weeks ago I talked about supper clubs that we have in Dallas, and that was very similar to what the symposium format for eating was. You'd have a group of people, not a large group, but maybe a dozen or two dozen people in a formal banquet setting, sitting like I said, and you would have the meal, and that meal was then followed by table talk. It was very informal, oftentimes there was a theme, and then after the meal was completed, there was oftentimes a speech given or some form of entertainment, and it could have been that Jesus, being a rabbi, was invited to be the after-dinner speaker. We're not sure, but we do know that this is a format, this is the format of the meal. And we know that the Pharisee is the host of the meal and he's footing the whole bill. Okay? That's very important to know that. So these are things you need to know in order to understand what's happening. Once you understand that, everything begins to fall into place. Now it's only been the past year or two that I ever under I understood all this stuff about meals, and it's simply because for the past year or two I've been studying meals in great depth. That's what my life's been about recently. So, uh, that is how these meals are set up. Now, look at verse 37. Biblical meals, that's what I've been studying. Okay, now, look at verse 37. Look how it opens. And look! Or, behold! It's an attention grabber. A woman in the city who was a sinner... Throw that out. It was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now this is a party crasher. An uninvited guest. Someone who has sneaked into the meal. In other words, she doesn't belong there. Now notice how she's described in verse 37. She's called a woman in the city who was a sinner. That's a nice way of saying a prostitute. Okay? That's a euphemism. And she is a streetwalker, a woman of the streets, and she plies her trade in the city 
probably has a lot of Gentile customers. You can imagine such a thing. Uh, but she herself may be Jewish. We're just not sure. But on the social register of Maine, the city of Maine, she's at the lowest rung. In fact, you couldn't find her name anywhere on any social register. And she would be, because of the kind of woman she is, she's unclean, and she's certainly out of place at this formal banquet. Okay? So that's very important. Now, we know back in verse 34, at the end of verse 34, Jesus is called a friend of sinners. So it's not surprised that she shows up where Jesus is. And it's not going to be a surprise the way he treats her and the way she treats him. So she shows up to this banquet, and uh, she's not supposed to be there. She was not invited. But we also know, looking at verse 34, that she has previous knowledge of Jesus. She probably had previous contact with Jesus, because notice what it says after the word sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, which means that she knew of Jesus before this event. It's not like she just came in and stumbled upon him. She had previous contact with Jesus, and that's important as well. Now look what she does in verse 37 and verse 38. And we'll discover what she does by the verbs that are used. She comes to the Pharisee's house. Number one, verb number one, she brought an alabaster flax of fragrant oil. Very expensive oil. Probably that she bought with by plying her trade from her earnings. <laughs> so she brings this very expensive oil. And then verse 38, second verb, she stood at his feet behind him. So he's reclining on his left elbow. His feet go out. The next man's on his elbow, his feet there, Jesus' feet behind his. So she comes and she stands behind Jesus, behind his feet, while he's at this table. Look at the next thing she does. She cries, look, weeping, weeping. Is that an important word in Luke's gospel? They that weep shall laugh, remember that? The widow woman, her son died, she's weeping. We've seen weeping at least two or three times so far in Luke's gospel. And here she is, she stands behind Jesus, she has this flask of very expensive oil, and she's weeping. And then look next. And she washed his feet with her tears, which means as she stands behind his feet and she's crying, her tears fall on his dirty feet. His dust-crusted feet. And those tears run down his feet. So that's what that's describing. And then she wiped them. That's the next verb. She wiped the feet with the hair of her head. In order to do that, this means she has to let her hair down. That was a no-no. <laughs> the only kind of people that ever let their hair down in public. You know what kind they were, don't you? Prostitutes. This is a very provocative act. I don't know what this would be like, but uh, it would be like a prostitute walking in off the street uh, dressed the way she's normally dressed, and every, every one of us would look at her, and every eye would be on her. Because one, she looks different, and she's out of place. So this woman, evidently, she drops her hair, which is a no-no, 
she probably bends down on her knees and she starts to wipe his feet with her hair. So this is a very provocative act. It might be like the pastor preaching on a Sunday morning and a prostitute from one of these red light districts happened to come into the church and just walks right down the aisle past the camera, mounts the podium, and comes up to Robert Jefferson and throws her arms around him. First of all, she goes like this. She whips her hair like this. <laughs> and then she, she throws her arms around him and she gives a big smooch right on his lips. We go. <gasps> and then all the guards, the, the secret police and people that we don't know around, would go and grab her and they would escort her out. Uh, that's how shocking what's happening in this scene was at that time. So you, you can't get it unless you sort of bring it up to date. So that's what would happen. And then look what happens in verse 38. It says, Then she kissed his feet. She just starts going. Just kisses his feet. They were planning on entertainment after the meal, but not this entertainment. <laughs> they weren't planning the, for the girl to jump out of the cake, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then it says, finally, she anointed those feet with the very expensive fragrant oil. Now, everything she does is a shock and seems to be out of place, provocative, and inappropriate, okay? Uh, quite a performance, and I'm sure everybody got an eyeful. <clears throat> now, let's look at the reaction of the Pharisee. Look at verse 39. And when the Pharisee, that's the host, who had invited him, that's Jesus, saw this, see, because she got in without him seeing it, now this is happening, he spoke to himself, Notice, not out loud. Uh, he says, what in the world's going on? You know, what's happening here? How did she get in here? Isn't that what you would say? That's what you, you, if that happened at the pulpit at first baptist, how did she ever get up on that pulpit? That's the first thing you'd say. How did she get in here? So notice he's not saying this out loud. He's saying this to himself. And look what he said. This man, meaning Jesus, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And by implication, he's saying to himself, this guy can't be a prophet. I thought he might have been a prophet. He can't be a prophet. If he were a prophet, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. Because he would have known who she was, and he said, get off of me. Because she's a sinner. And a prophet would have been able to discern supernaturally that information. So the fact that he didn't seems to indicate that he's not a prophet. So what we have is we have the Pharisee here judging the woman, and judging Jesus and jumping to a conclusion. 
And the conclusion he jumps to is, this woman is a sinner. And her actions are erotic and provocative and out of place. And this man's not a prophet. He's a false prophet. A prophet wouldn't allow this to happen. That's the conclusion that he jumps to. So notice he labels the people. Sinner, false prophet. That's the easiest way to get over They just label them. Liberal, communist. <laughs> that makes us feel powerful and better for, about ourselves and all this kind of stuff. Amen. Uh, so he, <laughs> Joey said amen if you didn't hear that. Okay, so now uh, we have this jumping to conclusions and this judgment. Now look at verse 40. We're going to have Jesus' response. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he said, teacher, say it. Now notice that. Jesus answered. Answered what? I didn't say anything. He's saying this to himself. He was saying this in his own mind. You see the irony here? Did you get it or did you miss it? This man says, he can't be a prophet. He doesn't even know what kind of woman this is. Oh, yeah, he even knows what you're thinking. <laughs> He's a prophet, all right. He knows everything. He knows exactly what this woman is, and he knows exactly what you're thinking. And he knows all about you as much as he knows about this woman. See? So he is a prophet, and he calls the Pharisee by name. Simon, he personalizes it. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so... Simon says, well, teacher, say it. Because in his wildest dreams, he has no idea that Jesus knows what he's thinking. He thinks that Jesus is just going to give a little teaching. And he says, well, come on, what, what do you want to say? He's not quite ready for what Jesus is going to say. Look at verse 41. Jesus says there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. In other words, one owed 10 times as much as the other. And when they had nothing with which to repay, meaning repay the debt, the creditor freely forgave them both. Tell me. Therefore, which of them will love him the most? Which of them will show more gratitude the most? The one who owed 50 or the one who owed 500? Well, I would say, well, the guy forgave a bigger debt, you would show him more gratitude because your debt was bigger. So that's what it means, who will love him the most, who will show more gratitude toward the creditor. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. In fact, this is the only thing you've gotten right. <laughs> Probably the only thing you'll ever get right. <laughs> he said, you rightly judged. Now, why did the Pharisee judge this thing right? Because he is a man who understands debt and obligation. Uh, he has some money. There are a lot of people under obligation to him, and they owe him things. <clears throat> In fact, the very... The very point that he 
he invited people to this meal that he financed, and he's, it's his home and where the meal's being held, means that they are now under obligation to him. They owe him a debt. See, that's the way things worked in Bible times. You gave a meal for people, and they were under an obligation or in debt to invite you to the next meal. So he knows about debt, and he knows about obligation. So uh, that's how the patronage system worked. So he knows that. So that's what Jesus says. The person who owes more, if he's forgiven of that debt, would show much more gratitude than the person who owed less. And Simon saw that as well. Now, here's the question. How about if the debt's forgiven? See, how about if the debt's forgiven? In this situation, we're going to see that this is what Jesus is going to talk about. That there's, how about if the debt were forgiven? In other words, if I give you a meal, then you're under obligation to repay me the meal. But how about if I gave a meal and said, I don't want an invitation back. And I gave a big, lavish banquet in your honor. And you say, oh, no, because under their system, guess what? You'd have to repay it back. But I said, you don't have to pay it back. You would show a lot of gratitude for that. Okay? Now he's going to apply this to sin. So watch how he does this. Look at verse 44. Then Jesus turned to the woman. But notice who he spoke to. Simon. So here's Simon. And I said, Simon, let me ask you a question. The guy owes you 500, the guy owes you, and I go through that whole scenario, and you answer. Now Jesus turns to the woman. And he says, Simon? Notice he's turned to the woman, but who's he speaking to in verse 44 there? Simon. See, he's going to use the woman as an object lesson for Simon. He wants Simon to learn something, and Jesus is going to look at this woman and use her as an object lesson. So he says, Simon, just keeps looking at the woman. Now watch what he says. Do you see this woman? I might as well do it like Jesus. Do you see this woman? Now I entered your house, Simon. And you gave me no water for my feet. But she wiped my feet with her tears. And wiped them with the hair of her own head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss. My feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Now, when he says that, he has three negative things. Notice he says, Simon, you did not, you did not, you did not. You see that? You did not give me water for my feet. And when you came in off of a dusty road into someone's house, there was usually water given to the person, and maybe even a servant would clean the person's feet, or at least you would clean your own feet, but you were provided with water. You didn't give me water. Verse 5. 45, you didn't give me a kiss, you didn't greet me like they do in the Middle East with a kiss when I came into your house, and you didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't give me any refreshment to anoint my head with oil. In other words, when I came in, you didn't even show me any respect or any hospitality. 
Which seems to indicate that maybe this guy really didn't believe Jesus was a prophet from the beginning. Maybe he was suspicious of Jesus. He just wanted to find out. He likes to do his house for dinner and going to have some discussions and try to find out what it is. Maybe he's a little suspicious. Because if he really thought Jesus was a prophet, guess what he would have done? Given him water for his feet, given him a great big hug when he came into his house and anointed him with oil. And he did none of those things, but guess what the woman did? She's not the host, but she does them all. And she does them lavishly. That's very important. She does them lavishly. So I think that she's saying, Simon, you fall far short of what this woman is doing. And guess what you're doing? You're judging her. And you haven't done any of these things. See? Now, was this woman under any obligation to anoint Jesus' feet? Everything's on his feet just about. She's playing with his feet. It's not the nicest place to be touching. She's not under any obligation to do this. But she does it, and she does it in an extravagant way. Okay? Now, what's all this about? Well, we have a lesson here. Look at verse 47. Therefore, watch that. It's very important. Therefore, based on what this woman has just done, based on her actions... Based on the evidence, therefore, I say to you, Simon, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, meaning already forgiven. When were her sins forgiven? We don't know, but probably sometime in the past, when she had an occasion to meet Jesus, Jesus forgave her of her sins. Now watch carefully, because her actions indicate this. See, that's it. Her actions indicate that she's forgiven. Because look at the next phrase in verse 47. Because she, what? Loved much. She showed much gratitude. Now, that was what the story was when Jesus gave the lesson. The person who is forgiven much does what? Loves much. Shows much gratitude. See, so she has shown much gratitude, showing that she has been forgiven much. And here's the point, that Simon is not aware of her new status. Simon's not aware that she's been forgiven, that she's a changed woman. He's judging her actions wrongly, based on her former profession. He labels her a sinner, when in reality she's become a saint. He's labeled Jesus a false prophet, when in reality he's a prophet. So Simon has totally judged the situation wrong on both counts. See, that's what judging does. Jumping to judgment. Now look at the end of verse 47, because there's a word but there. But. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. The only reason a person loves Jesus just a little 
like science, does what's the minimum is because they don't recognize the magnitude of their sin. Because if you recognize the magnitude of your sin, guess what you'll do? You'll love him much. And the loving little means that you don't understand the magnitude of your sin. He looked at her and said, sinner. And he looked at himself and he said, righteous. When in reality, her sins had been forgiven. And she recognized the magnitude of her sin. And therefore, she lavished her gratitude upon Jesus. The fact that Simon did not do anything indicates that he really didn't understand the magnitude of his sins. Say, do we understand the magnitude of our sins? If we do, what will we do? We will be extravagant in our ministry to Jesus. Then, verse 48, he said to her, all that time he had been speaking to Simon, he said to her, your sins are forgiven, or more literally, your sins have been forgiven. The perfect tense, which means it's been done in the past and they're still forgiven. Now I imagine he had everyone's attention in that room. <laughs> Look at the guests. This is the guest reaction. Verse 49. Those who reclined at the table who were with him said to themselves, Who is this guy who even forgives sin? <laughs> uh, were they happy that the prostitute's life has been changed? <laughs> Did they uh, take the message upon themselves? No, they question Jesus. They, these people who are affluent and at this formal banquet uh, continue to struggle with Jesus' identity and his authority. What gives him the authority to forgive sin? So they get into a theological discussion about the issue. Uh, now there's one thing they know. They know that this woman's sins are forgiven because they said, who can forgive sin? They recognize that Jesus has claimed to forgive her sins and that she is now part of the kingdom of God and her actions prove it. Her actions prove it. How about their actions? These people's actions. What does their actions prove? The people around the table. Or to hit home a little closer, what does your actions prove about you? And what do my actions prove about our relationship to Jesus? Look at verse 50. Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you, has made you whole. Go in peace. That means be reconciled. You're reconciled to God. A person who's in peace is a person who's reconciled with themselves and reconciled to God. And that's the first time that faith and salvation are linked together. And so by faith, this woman has become a child of God, and she has been restored. Her life has been restored. There's now peace in her life. She's been delivered. She's been reconciled. Now, what lessons can we learn from this? Well, when you read this passage, there's one obvious thing. We have no response from Simon. Simon doesn't say a word after Jesus speaks to him. And Luke 
I believe, chooses not to tell us how Simon responded to Jesus' teaching. And I think he does this for a reason. Because Luke wants us to identify with Simon. And he wants us to say, well, how did Simon respond? What did he say? But he wants us to say that, so that will lead to the next question, is how do we respond? How do we respond? What would we have done? And what do we do? Do we jump to conclusions? Wrong conclusions about people? Or do we look at people the way Jesus looks at them? As people, sinners, yes, but no one above redemption. Are we willing to cancel debts? Or do we hold people in obligation to us like Simon does? See, these are the kinds of things. Simon didn't lavish anything upon Jesus. The woman did. She was very generous in her actions and in her gratitude. What do our actions say about us? You see, these are the questions that are supposed to be asked and the lessons that are supposed to be learned by Luke's audience. Remember, Luke is writing 35 years after Jesus has died and resurrected. Luke is writing this account, telling this account, 35 years after the event ever happened. He's writing it to an audience, a church audience. We're supposed to learn these lessons. And therefore, he's writing it to us. After the fact, because when we read the story, we're to say, okay, how should our church respond in situations? And how should we as individuals respond in situations? And the answer is, don't judge people too soon. Don't jump to conclusions. Forgive debts. Forgive big debts that people have done against you. Don't hold people in obligation to you. Why? Because God doesn't hold you in obligation to him. Amen. He has forgiven every one of your debts, every one of your sins. He's never said, but. And then in our response to Christ, because he has forgiven everyone. Look at this. Do you see this? We should forgive others because God's forgiven us. And because God's forgiven us and our sin was so horrible, we should lavish great things upon him and not judge what other people are doing. Next week, we're going to pick up with some other women who followed Jesus. I'll show you that. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. Came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom. And the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. These are all women who follow Jesus. And you know what they do? They provide him from their substance. They extravagantly take care of him. This prostitute woman in verses 36 through 50 was not the only one that treated Jesus that way. Everybody who's been delivered greatly from demons or sin or sickness 
or circumstances of life by Christ should lavish their substance upon him. We'll see how that comes out next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. Help us to understand the, the implications of a passage like this. So often we'll just read over it. It seems like a good story. We get a little lesson out of it, but we don't understand the full power of this passage. Help us to apply the lessons to our own lives. In other words, Lord, in light of this, now what? How then should, should we live in light of this great forgiveness that you have poured out upon us and upon others? Help us to learn this lesson and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.